Dear listeners, I sound so creepy. Hello. (laughs) Hello, dear listeners. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of You Solved a Mystery. This is a podcast where we delve into episodes of the iconic show Unsolved Mysteries and reveal the final chapter. I'm Athena. And I'm Chandra. By the way, if we sound exactly the same, it's because we're twins. Guess what? What? We're officially out of the initial specials and into season one. Are you sure this time? I am positive. Unsolved Mysteries is officially an NBC syndicate primetime television show. Woo! Congratulations! Yeah, Robert Stack. (sighs) So this was originally part of season one, episode one. It aired October 5th, 1988, and it has been reworked into Season 1, Episode 4 on YouTube. On February 27th, 1978, 16-year-old Roxanne Woodson left her home to drive around Teleco Plains, Tennessee, with some friends and a 26-year-old acquaintance, Joseph Arlen Shepard. It was the last time her family would see her alive. I want to believe the best of people. I don't want to be suspicious of people based on things like their age. But maybe a 16-year-old shouldn't be hanging out with a 26-year-old. You don't even know the half of it yet. Wait, let me rephrase that. Maybe a 26-year-old shouldn't be hanging out with a 16-year-old because the onus is not on the 16-year-old to be a responsible adult. It's on the adult. (laughs) Good point. The group all teenagers, except for Shepard, parked in a secluded spot in the mountains. There, Shepard began making advances at Roxanne, becoming aggressive and even threatening her with a knife and gun. Despite Shepard's disturbing behavior, the two teenage boys with them left for a moment, and when they returned, Roxanne was gone. Shepard told them she had become upset and ran away into the woods. They searched for her, but eventually Shepard convinced them to leave, promising to return on his own to continue the search. In this episode, the... In this episode, Robert Stack mentions the friends once. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, whose friends? Yeah. Where were they? Where's their testimony? But that's it. Actually, I have their testimony. I just would have expected that to be mentioned at some point in the episode. It's probably just that they only have so much time for the segment, and they're just trying to get the base details out there, but I have so many more details for you today. Okay. Roxanne's grandmother, Dorcas Woodson, excellent name, by the way, Dorcas. I feel like it was co-opted by being called a dork and then, like, Dorcas, but Dorcas is such a good name. It is, and I love Dorcas Woodson. She is wearing the most fantastic, I assume it's a dress. It looks like 
I mean, it's probably not silk, but it's got that look to it. It's got poofy sleeves and lace along the collar, and it's got this big flower on the shoulder, and her hair is all up nice and and set, and she knows how to get ready for an interview on NBC. The way she speaks is also just so clear, and she she knows what she's thinking. She knows like she's what concise. She's yeah. I just like her a lot. Mm-hmm. So Dorcas told Unsolved Mysteries that the family was immediately concerned when Roxanne didn't return home that night. She said, quote, You just wring your hands. There's no relief. Because you haven't got her. She's gone, and you don't know what's happened to her. She's out there, and you can't reach her. You can't help her. End quote. She said that Roxanne loved her father and would never have run away. A massive search began immediately, with over 60 people combing the area where she was last seen. The police wanted to question the last person who saw her, Joe Shepard. They went to his parents' house, where he lived, to bring him in for questioning. Shepard agreed to go, but said he just needed to put on his shoes. Instead, he emerged from his room with a shotgun. The deputies fired two warning shots, and Shepard's parents, Velma and Lewis, managed to wrestle the rifle away from their son and subdue him. He was arrested for assault on an officer and taken to the station for questioning. There he repeated his story he had told the two boys. Roxanne was angry and ran off into the woods. He posted bail and voluntarily joined the search party looking for Roxanne. Meanwhile, the family prayed desperately. But on April 8th, Velma, Shepard's mother, noticed the dogs barking and digging at something in her yard. She went to investigate and discovered two hands protruding from a shallow grave. She immediately called police. Anthropologist William Bass, who was interviewed in the Unsolved Mysteries segment, determined that it was Roxanne. She was naked from the waist down, with her denim jacket wrapped around her head. At this point, the DA felt they had cause to charge Shepard with murder, and in an act of obvious innocence, Shepard fled town. Police searched the home of his former in-laws in North Carolina, where they found him, rolled up in a blanket, hiding at the foot of a bed occupied by a sleeping child. So basically, he tried to hide by burritoing himself in a blanket at the foot of a bed, which is a great image for this, <laughs> this crud of a human being. So his in-laws, his former in-laws were covering for him? Yeah. And I just love how his his in, his former in-laws were trying to hide him. But his mom, was when she found the body, was just like, oh, hell no, Joe. Get you to jail. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I kind of missed the chain of events there. Because at first, I was like, it must have been terrifying for his parents to see him get shot at in front of them. I mean, they were warning shots, but that had to be terrifying. And then his mom finds these hands... Mm-hmm. protruding from the ground as if they're praying to be found and mm. i just kind of thought that he was hiding in their house i was like are oh, you no. seriously covering for him but uh no yeah, it was it makes a lot ex, more sense ex-in-laws not even his in-laws his ex-in-laws in north carolina i'm just like what kind of person is his ex then <laughs> actually i don't think a bad person but we'll get there her parents aren't great <laughs> Maybe they just truly believe his innocence. Let's not be too harsh on them. So Shepard was returned to Tennessee to face the murder charge. 
Upon being questioned for the second time, he changed his story. He claimed now that he had chased Roxanne into the woods and she fell and hit her head. He said he panicked and left her there to take the other teens home, then returned and tried to revive her. He said she wasn't sure if she was alive or dead, but because of his past run-ins with the law, he decided to bury her. According to Unsolved Mysteries, the officers who questioned him acted very buddy-buddy. They tried to make him feel like they were friends so that he would want to help them. Then, a surprising phone call led officers to question him about another missing girl, 15-year-old Kathy Clowers, and he told them, Not only did he know Kathy, he knew where she was buried. On April 13th, Shepard led officers into the Cherokee National Forest, where he took them to a dense thicket of laurels and told them to dig. Yeah, in the reenactment, they're digging with a pickaxe? I know! Did they really dig up a possible grave? 1976! (laughs) Are you okay? Former Attorney General Richard Fisher had just taken over with the pickaxe when they pulled up a piece of red cloth. He said Shepard smiled coldly up at him and said, See, I told you, as if proud to have come through with a body. Kathy Clowers had disappeared in 1976. Although the remains in the second grave were almost entirely reduced to skeleton, Kathy's family was able to identify her by the clothes that remained. Investigators noticed the manner of burial was very similar to Roxanne. Kathy was naked from the waist down, with her jeans wrapped around her head. That seems like it had to be some sort of guilt. Some yeah. sort of, like, trying to hide what mm-hmm. he'd done from himself. Mm-hmm. Which I, does not evoke any sympathy from me. I hope he feels awful and terribly mm-hmm. guilty and never gets over it. So initially, the police didn't disclose that it was Shepard that led them to Kathy. So for a while, all the public knew was that two teenage girls had been found buried in shallow graves, and it created a panic. And one of the very first articles I read when I started researching the case was in the Valley Morning Star, a Texas newspaper, where they said that officials believe that at least two other teen girls might be buried in the Cherokee National Forest possibly more. And I didn't know the whole story yet. So I was like, 1978, what is happening in your woods? Why are there all just these teen girls buried in the forest? But, but it wasn't substantiated. Thankfully, it was just rumors created by a lack of information. So it doesn't mean there aren't bodies buried in the woods, but I bet there are random bodies buried in a lot of woods. Yeah, probably. I'm still going hiking though. (laughs) Shepard was indicted for the murders of Roxanne Woodson and Kathy Clowers. His trial was set for July, and he was held on a $150,000 bond. He was ordered to undergo psychiatric evaluation. He had been granted a change of venue because it was agreed a fair trial was impossible in Monroe County, where Teleco Plains was, because of immense pre-trial publicity, including graphic photos of one of the girls' bodies being printed in a newspaper. That is disgusting. Yeah. How could anybody look themselves in the mirror after publishing photos like that for her family to see? Yeah. As a public spectacle. All about selling papers, probably. That is gross. Yeah. 
So his trial was moved to Bradley County, but they wouldn't get the opportunity to try him because on July 17, 1978, Shepard and two other inmates escaped. And the way they did it, they did something I didn't think happened outside of movies. They pulled a barf and switch. One of his accomplices feigned illness, and when the guard opened the door to check on him, the two accomplices overpowered him and locked him in the cell. And they weren't even in the same cell as Shepard. They had to go to his cell to get him out. Yeah, I really am very curious how he convinced them to take the risk of stopping to get him too when he wasn't even a player in this barf and switch. Maybe they knew each other already. Yeah, I just know if I was escaping from jail, I would not be making any stops. Unless I was also Unless in jail. Unless it was you. <laughs> yes, I would absolutely stop to make sure that you got out with me. I was just imagining, like, at the next shift change, they come in and find that guard in the cell. And I just imagine that sad trombone music. And he has this big <laughs> sad face behind the bars. And the other jailers are like, Hubert, what did you do? <laughs> and he's like, sorry, boss. They pulled one over on me. <laughs> and then they stuck their thumbs in their belts and shook their heads. Ah, oh, Hubert. Shepard's accomplices were captured within days, but Shepard just seemed to vanish. Law enforcement interviewed on Unsolved Mysteries warned that they believed Shepard was a danger because of the methodology of the murders and attempted cover-up showing a criminal mindset, someone who wants to get away with what they've done and who can do it more than once. And Roxanne's grandmother Dorcas told Unsolved Mysteries she wanted justice for herself, for Roxanne, and for all the other mothers whose daughters might be in danger as long as Joe Shepard remained at large. And he would remain at large for 12 years. During those years, residents of Teleco Plains lived in fear of Shepard's return. They watched for him everywhere, and there were constant reports of sightings. He became a kind of boogeyman, and parents feared that he would come and take their children. The police also harassed his family, who insisted they hadn't heard from him since before the escape, which I believe because they've already shown they would turn him in. Yeah. Yeah. His uh, parents seemed to be pretty realistic about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. During the years he was missing, Shepard was actually a suspect in a 1980 shooting of a patrolman who was shot three times in the back during a traffic stop. The officer ID'd Shepard as the shooter, but as we'll learn, it really couldn't have been him, and I couldn't find any follow-ups on the case to say who it actually was or if it was even resolved. So, Early on, there was also a sighting in El Paso, Texas, and Shepard was believed to be living along the Mexico border. But it turns out they were looking in the wrong direction. It was a man in Ontario, Canada, who called the police after watching the American TV show Unsolved Mysteries to let them know his acquaintance and neighbor, Joseph Tripp, was a wanted fugitive. Unsolved Mysteries does it again. He did the smart thing where he kept his first name. Did you notice that? I did. Joe Tripp. Yes. Mm -hmm. By this time... Shepard was 37 years old. He had been living in a government housing project with his common-law wife and two children. Oh, good heavens. 
District Attorney Jerry Estes said he was probably in Canada within just days of his escape. So none of those sightings of the boogeyman were accurate. Yeah. In response to the tip, Canadian police, which I'm very disappointed were not Mounties, launched their own month-long investigation, and once they were satisfied that this Joe was the wanted Joe, they arrested him on November 18th, 1988. He fought extradition for a year. After his presence in Canada was deemed unlawful, Shepard filed a request for asylum as a refugee from persecution. I'm sorry. What? (laughs) Excuse me? His argument was that he could face the death penalty if he was returned to the U.S., which some countries that don't have the death penalty won't do, and good for them, by the way. But this feels like an admission of guilt to me. And you don't get to choose if you're persecuted or not when you've murdered two teenage girls. Yeah, it's it's really, it's not persecution at that point. It's justice. Mm-hmm. His efforts were unsuccessful, and the Canada Supreme Court ordered that he be deported. He returned to the U.S. in January of 1989. Oh, hold on, Shawnee. Oh, boy. Back in the U.S., Shepard was charged in an 11-count indictment relating to the murders of Kathy and Roxanne, the aggravated assault on law enforcement officers, and the 1977 rapes of two women and the 1978 kidnapping and rapes of two additional women. This was not a good guy. Chandra's just sitting over there wide-eyed. I don't even think she knows what to say. I don't. I mean, I'm... I I feel uncomfortable using the word glad here, but, like, I'm, in the worst way possible, glad that they were able to investigate the cases of those four other women in order to connect him, Mm. because it didn't seem like before, um, when he was being investigated for the murders alone, they... I mean, there was just no mention of those Mm. crimes. Growing up, Shepard was the youngest of 11 children. His family was poor, and he left school after the third grade. He worked on and off as a mechanic and married when he was quite young and had a son, Joey, who was born in 1972 when Shepard was only 20. He had more children, at least two with another girlfriend, but I don't even know how many. As a side note, I found that his son Joey died in 1995 when he was only 22. The only info I could find was his find a grave page that just says, in God's care now, but forever in my heart, and a few photos. That's a bummer for his mom. I think that his mom was Shepard's wife, and I think that she must have been a good mom, because... There are photos of Joey where he looks healthy and happy. In one of them, he's dressed in a band uniform holding a tuba. So I tried to find what happened to him because, well, I don't like mysteries. <laughs> but I couldn't find any news articles, though I do think that he might have been hit by a car. And it's just really sad because he was so young and clearly loved. His mom still comments on his Find a Grave page about how much she misses him. Oh, 
Also, I read the obituaries for some of Shepard's siblings who have passed away, and they didn't all end up like him. They owned businesses, they had hobbies, they volunteered for their communities. His brother, Wiki, was even the chief of the volunteer fire department and an alderman for the city of Teleco. Did you say Wiki? His name was Wiki. I love it. Yeah. If you hear the pitter-patter of little feet, that would be the cats running around playing on the floor above us. As usual, please bear with our 20,000 animals. Our menagerie is not concerned. So yeah, I always think it's interesting when siblings turn out so different. I wonder how it happens. Yeah, where did this one go so wrong? Back to the story, in 1976, psychiatrist Marvin Weingar had treated Shepard at the Overlook Mental Health Facility and diagnosed him as depressed with suicidal thoughts. Roger Meyer, a clinical psychologist who assessed Shepard for the trial, explained he had something he called the burned child syndrome, indicated by a guarded personality caused by being, quote, emotionally put down as a child, and a lack of access to resources due to being poor and uneducated. I don't like where this is heading. Well, I don't think the burned child syndrome is a thing anymore. It feels like they're trying to say that because he was poor and bullied, he became a murderer. There are a lot of poor people and people who have been bullied who never murder. Mm -hmm. Most of them, in fact, I would say. Well, well, listen to this. In the 1990 trial, Dr. Meyer testified that Shepard did not have a sociopathic or antisocial personality disorder and was basically nonviolent. What? Excuse me, sorry. Four rapes, two murders, two kidnappings, assault on officers. This is about as violent as it gets. I, yeah. I mean, we've got sexual assault and murder in here mm -hmm. what what's it take kicking a puppy <laughs> 13 years after the original indictment shepherd was tried for kathy's murder in both cases the evidence was circumstantial and based largely on witness testimonies and maybe him leading them to kathy's grave you would think Kathy was born July 17, 1959. Her family was poor, and she had learning disabilities and I think was neurodivergent. At trial, her special education teacher testified to her character, saying she was a loving, outgoing person who was not depressed and never showed any indication of being suicidal. Because the defense was arguing that Kathy either overdosed accidentally or intentionally, which I'll get back to. That is infuriating. Remember from earlier, there was a phone call that led the police to question Shepard about Kathy's disappearance? Mm -hmm. It turned out it was actually Shepard's ex-girlfriend, Peggy Raper, which is a really unfortunate last name. It really is. And I just can't get around it. <laughs> I, was, I was trying not to comment on it, but it's, it's bad. I'm pretty sure I would change that. <laughs> After Shepard's arrest, Peggy and her mom went into the station and spoke with Deputy Joe Graves. Peggy wound up testifying at the trial, and in the court documents I read, they noted that Peggy's father had been abusive, and at the age of 15, Peggy killed him. 
Ah, snap. I don't think she was charged in his death, because I think it was probably a long history of abuse and deemed justified. But my question is, Peggy girl, what are you doing with Joe Shepard? Peggy told Deputy Graves that while they were dating, Shepard had told her that he had seen boys messing with the girl that they had OD'd by giving her drugs, and then they buried her. He he told her he had seen this? Yeah. Uh, maybe tell this to the police if it's a true story? Yeah. Peggy said she didn't think any more of it at the time, which again, I say, Peggy, you are a powerful and independent woman. Why are you not running as fast as you can in the opposite direction? (laughs) But with the death of Roxanne and the clarity of hindsight, she realized there might be more to the story. When questioned, Shepard initially said that they were partying with some people and Kathy got some dope, which they smoked, and they drove to the top of Teleco Mountain to the end of the old abandoned 68 and fell asleep. He said he slept for one or two days before waking up and finding Kathy dead, at which point he buried her. That had to be some seriously wild dope. Well, hang on one moment, because he changed his statement. Of course he did, because he's guilty. Just is not a good look. This time he said he and Kathy got dope, blotter acid, tea? Which, I don't know what kind of tea is worth reporting. Like, mushroom tea? Maybe. Could have been mushroom tea. And alcohol before heading to a hollow used for partying with a group of people. He said they were all drinking and using the drugs they brought, but eventually he decided to leave, and the only ones still at the party were Kathy and two men. He said the next day he asked them if they'd seen Kathy, and they said no, then a few days later pointed out where they had buried her, and he went with them to make sure the grave was still intact. Okay, Joe. Sure, you didn't murder her. You just knew where her body was for all of these years. Mm -hmm. At trial, Peggy testified that he would drive by Kathy's burial site frequently. He would stop, and he would wander alone into the woods, returning shortly after. He told her he had marijuana plants there, but Peggy never saw them. Peggy's older sister, Anne Barnett, also testified, and what she had to say was pretty damning. She explained that she had been experimenting with drugs at the time. Remember, this is 15 years after Kathy's murder. Many witnesses are now adults with very different lives. And one night, while she was driving around with Shepard, she took one of his little white, quote, nerve pills. It had a paralyzing effect on her. Oh, my God. Literally. She said that for three days afterwards, her mom had to do everything for her because she couldn't move. But while she was in the car that night, Shepard told her that he knew where a girl was buried and that he was the one that killed her. This was important not only because he had literally confessed, but because of what was found in the tiny amounts of soft tissue that remained on Kathy's bones. Toxicologist Norman Wade was able to test a small amount of brain tissue and discovered a low dose of an antidepressant sometimes used to treat insomnia called doxepin. Guess who had a prescription for doxepin? Hmm. Is it Joe Shepard? Yep. And also me. <laughs> yeah. The week after I started researching this episode, my doctor prescribed me doxepin to help with sleep. And I was like, um, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> 
1976, Dr. Weingar, the psychiatrist who diagnosed him with depression, prescribed doxepin to be taken before bed and eventually added Valium. He wrote a prescription for 90 Valium tablets in February and another in March. Uh, excuse me? That's too much Valium. Why does he need 90 Valium, three months worth of Valium in one month? Double that. Because he got the same in the next month. That's too much Valium. The amount of doxepin in Kathy's system was 0.19 milligrams, which was nowhere near the 9 to 21 milligrams the toxicologist said would be a fatal dose. However, Dr. Weingar stated that mixing doxepin with alcohol would increase sleepiness, as would mixing alcohol and Valium, but Valium wouldn't dissolve as well as doxepin. He also said that you wouldn't be able to detect the taste of doxepin in beer, implying that Shepard could have used his prescriptions to drug someone against their will. Decomposition made it impossible to detect other drugs in her system, be it Valium, alcohol, acid, or anything else Shepard said that they were using that night. But Dr. Weingard did admit that a mix of all the drugs that she supposedly used would be disastrous and potentially deadly. So the full and true story of what happened to Kathy is unclear, but based on the testimony of various witnesses, here's what is known. Bill Gentry, who was 14 in 1976, testified that Shepard, who was 24, had asked him, a 14-year-old, if he knew any girls he could date. Shepard said he didn't want the girls to know he was married. I don't even need to comment on how gross that is. Billy was driving around with Shepard and Kathy's brother, Jerry. They pulled up to Jerry and Kathy's house. Shepard saw her outside and asked if she was old enough to date. No. The answer is no. If you have to ask the question, the answer is no. But Jerry encouraged Kathy to join them. And as soon as Kathy got in the car, Shepard wouldn't allow Jerry back in. And he drove off without him. So there are already five red flags here, and they just left the house. Shepard bought beer on the way to the mountains and opened the cans for the teenagers while not drinking himself. Billy and Kathy were sitting in the back seat talking and kissing. Then Billy got out and Shepard got in, which I don't like one bit. No. Then Kathy got out of the car crying. Billy said that they should leave, but on the way back, Shepard bought more beer and told them to take pills from his prescription bottle to get a good buzz, which they declined. My heart is hurting so bad for Kathy. It feels like there's a vulture circling over her, getting closer and closer. After that night, others saw Shepard and Kathy together on several occasions. Several stated that they saw Shepard slap her, and it appeared as if they were dating. One person said that on the night of the party where Kathy was last seen, it was clear that the two of them were there together. After she disappeared, Kathy's dad asked Shepard if he'd seen her, and he told him that she'd gotten in a truck with some boys and left town, which is very different from what he told the police. In the autopsy, a cause of death could not be determined, but they theorized that it could be overdose, strangulation, or suffocation, possibly from being buried alive. They believed strangulation or suffocation to be most likely and determined that the body being buried was inconsistent with a suicide or accident. Shepard's changing statements, 
that she'd gotten in a truck with some boys, that some guys had overdosed and buried her, that he'd killed her, that she accidentally overdosed. They didn't help him either. The court felt that his actions, including his escape from jail, were, quote, consistent with guilt and inconsistent with innocence. The court also pointed out that supplying children with prescription medication was a crime. (laughs) And the presence of Doxvin in her system and his history of offering and giving drugs to young people proved he'd supplied her with drugs at the least. And if her death was caused by an overdose, he would still be at fault. That is very reasonable. Shepard was found guilty of secondary murder and sentenced to 99 years in prison. Kathy's mother, and this was the only reference I could find to any of her family, Alice Clowers, said, Quote, the family realized that they could not bring Kathy back, but they felt justice had been done. We are very satisfied with the judgment. End quote. District Attorney General Jerry Estes was, quote, tickled to death with the verdict. End quote. That's a real strange way to describe your feelings after a case like this. Yeah. The trial for Roxanne's murder was scheduled for February, and because Shepard now had a conviction for murder... He had what's called an aggravating circumstance, which meant the death penalty was on the board for Roxanne's case, and Estes planned to seek it. The trial for Roxanne's murder also included the assault on the officers. Based on testimony, on the night of Roxanne's death, Frankie Harris, 13, Charles Bovard, 14, Wilbur Bovard, 16, and Roxanne, also 16, were hanging out in the Bovard's yard when Shepard, 26, drove up and asked if they wanted to ride around. He was an acquaintance of the boys. Roxanne got permission from her dad before leaving, which breaks my heart for him. I can't imagine the the what-ifs he must have put himself through. I just remember our mother, who up until this moment I would have described as overprotective, having to meet the person who (laughs) was going to drive us to a school dance. Mm -hmm. He had to come over and she had to have a conversation with him before we could drive in a car with him. (laughs) 1978, different time. The world was less jaded then, but not for long. (sighs) The group went and picked up Wilbur's girlfriend, Judy, Charles testified that while Wilbur and Frankie were out of the car, Shepard pulled out a hunting knife, played with it for a while, and then dragged it across Roxanne's chest. And then I have, just in my notes, in all caps, SOMEBODY DO SOMETHING. I know that they're kids, but at any point during or after, they could have said something. The boys returned to the car with some pills, and they proceeded to drive to a steel bridge where they parked and talked. Wilbur and Judy got in a fight and decided to walk back to town. The rest decided to drive to Teleco Beach, but Shepard turned up Old Furnace Road instead. Eventually he stopped and, quote, approached Roxanne about having sex with him, end quote. She refused, but he persisted. He leapt into the back seat where she was sitting with Frankie and started assaulting her until everyone poured out of the car and Frankie tried to calm Roxanne down. Excuse me? Frankie, no. <laughs> Roxanne was hysterical and crying and Shepard walked up to her with a gun and told her, quote, if you don't shut up, I'm going to blow your brains out, end quote. The boys convinced Roxanne to get back in the car and they drove further up the mountain. 
were all boys trash? Boys, you tell this creep, who's threatening your friend, to take us the fuck home right now. (sighs) They parked again, and this is where Frankie and Charles both got out of the car to find somewhere to pee. Shepard asked them to walk down the road a bit so he could, quote, calm Roxanne down. During this time, Charles heard the sounds of a scuffle and Roxanne say, quote, you son of a bitch. By the time they returned to the car, Roxanne was gone. A minute later, Shepard came out of the woods, saying she'd run off. They searched for her and continued calling her name from the car as they drove down the mountain. They picked up Wilbur and Judy, and after dropping Judy off at home, the four actually returned to search for Roxanne some more. I think that that is interesting that one of his earlier stories was that uh, he didn't know if she was dead and he wanted to get the kids home. Mm-hmm. And then he went back to, quote, check on her or whatever. And now we're hearing that they actually searched for her. Mm-hmm. He he wasn't trying to hurry the kids home. He, he right. kept this facade going. Mm-hmm. Shepard took the boys home and said he'd keep looking but he told them to keep quiet about the whole thing. Which is red flag number 312. Boys, don't keep quiet about the whole thing. I desperately hope that the majority of kids would know better in this day and age. Yeah. Yeah, this is rape culture, guys. And girls. And envies. Don't let this stuff fly. The next day, Roxanne's father reported her missing, and a massive search began. Bloodhounds caught her scent, but only followed it a hundred yards before losing it. In that area, searchers noticed some disturbed brush with an indentation on the top. On February 28, 1978, those two deputies went to speak with Shepard at his parents' house, and he agreed to show the officers where he had last seen Roxanne. When he went to his bedroom and put on his shoes and coat, they could hear him cursing and talking to himself, saying, quote, I'm getting goddamn tired of being aggravated by these sons of bitches about these damn whores, end quote. You shut your mouth, Joe Shepard. You shut your mouth. He then emerged with a 12-gauge shotgun, at which point his parents restrained him. As we know, he disappeared two days later and was found on March 29th in North Carolina, hiding at the home of his former in-laws. On April 8th, 1978, Velma found Roxanne's body in a shallow grave in an area of her yard where junk had been scattered. The grave had been covered with a car seat, but Roxanne's weathered hands and toes were protruding from the ground. At first, Shepard claimed someone had put the body there to make him look bad. Nobody has to make you look bad, honey. You do that yourself. You already look pretty darn bad. Eventually, he admitted to burying Roxanne, but not killing her. Ugh, Chandra, once again. He said that up on the mountain that night, she eventually agreed to have sex, which is not how consent works. And then he decided that he didn't want to anymore because of all the hassle she had put him through. I'm so grossed out. (laughs) It's infuriating. So for some reason, this upsets her, and she runs into the woods. Oh, for some reason. And hits her head. He took the boys home, then returned and put her in the car and drove her to his house and tried to revive her by splashing water and then alcohol on her face. 
I hate him so much. He said when she was found, she was undressed because he'd planned to burn her clothes but decided not to. He also said he couldn't be sure she was dead when he buried her. This is that kind of thing where when somebody lies, they tend to include too many details. So Shepard's story with Roxanne is that she accidentally died and he buried her. And his story with Kathy was that she accidentally died, so he buried her. And I'm sorry, but you're either the unluckiest guy in the world or you're lying. Because teenage girls don't just accidentally die that often. There's a common denominator, and it's Shepard. In the autopsy, Dr. Elliot, the pathologist, couldn't find an obvious cause of death. And this is vital to discrediting Shepard's version of events because a blow to the head, serious enough to cause death, would have been noticeable. He determined that the most likely cause of death was asphyxiation or suffocation, just like Kathy, and also like Kathy, they couldn't say for sure whether she suffocated before or after she was buried. Despite affidavits from his common-law wife, several friends, and a nun attesting that he had been a good father, friend, and neighbor during his time in Canada, on April 14, 1991, Shepard was found guilty of felony murder in the commission of rape and sentenced to death. One thing I think is really interesting is all these guys who murder a woman or two or three and then go on the run. It seems like they don't wind up killing again. Like, or, why did he kill two girls in Teleco and then go to Canada and suddenly, like, clean up his life? Or maybe he did. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Robert Weeks killed again. We'll just never know about it. Shepard attempted to appeal his convictions multiple times. In his 1992 appeal to the Court of Criminal Appeals in Tennessee, he stated that after finding him in North Carolina, the police were abusive, which contradicts what Unsolved Mysteries said. He said they started questioning him at 3.20 a.m., threatened to arrest his parents, and threatened to take his children away. Gall. He said that back in Monroe County, his hands were handcuffed through the bars and officers took him from his cell and beat him with a broom handle. If this was true, the statements of guilt and the location of Kathy's body were given under duress, so he held they should not have been allowed in trial. Excuse me, but he knew where her body was. Right. Violence by police is unacceptable in every case, always without question, so I don't know which one's true. But like you said, he still led them. To her body, and that has to account for something. And the court found that the testimony about the abuse was not believable. The appeal also related to concern of bias from the Unsolved Mysteries episode. The Unsolved Mysteries episode that laid out the evidence against him mm -hmm. pretty darn clearly. It argued that the state failed to prove the malice necessary for a second-degree murder conviction that Anne Barnett shouldn't have been allowed to testify about being given a pill because it was an unrelated crime. Hi, you confessed to her. He, uh, also, he gave her a pill. Yeah. That itself is a crime. Yeah. I mean, you're not supposed to be able to be tried for a crime unrelated to the crime you're being tried for. Or, like, an unrelated crime isn't supposed to be presented in court. But the reason her testimony was important was that he confessed to her, and he also had given her a pill that night. So it was kind of like a testimony and character witness thing. It also said that one witness shouldn't have been allowed to testify because he had perjured himself in another case, a claim for which there was no evidence. 
and this particular appeal was denied. It's just shocking to me how hard someone who has done such horrible things is willing to try to get away with them. Mm -hmm. It's shameless. Yep. His 1995 appeal to the Tennessee Supreme Court regarding his death penalty conviction was much weaker than the one about Kathy. Like, it stated that he objected to the admission of the bloodhounds that followed Roxanne's scent as evidence, but he didn't specify on what grounds the objection was made. So it was like in Liar Liar when he objects and the judge asks why and he says, because it's devastating to my case. (laughs) Uh, Somewhat ironically, in a little twist... It was the show that caught him that saved him. It came to light that at least nine members of the jury for Kathy's case had seen the episode of Unsolved Mysteries, and many admitted in selection that they already kind of thought he was guilty, and they kept them on anyway. Okay, here we are again. If you're going to go through this supposed criminal justice system that we have, you need to do it in the most honest way possible. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't keep people on the jury because they already think the person is guilty. Mm -hmm. One jury member, even when asked if he had already formed an opinion to Shepard's guilt, stated, quote, Well, I guess that I formed the opinion that if they wanted to hang him, I'd furnish the rope, end quote. And they selected him as a juror. That is just not okay. Prosecution and some members of the Supreme Court argued that if a potential juror can swear that they can be fair and impartial and base their judgment on the evidence, they can be kept as jurors. And I'm sorry, but that's not right. It's completely unreasonable to think that someone could watch a segment detailing the murders of two young women and subsequent fleeing of the suspect in which the said suspect is called a dangerous psychopath and not be influenced by it. That's just not how human brains work. Facts. And I am positive that they could have found 12 candidates who had never seen Unsolved Mysteries. I don't know. It was a really popular show. It's true. It was. And (laughs) still is, as a matter of fact. I agree with you. They should have found those people. Yeah. Those strange people who didn't watch Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. As much as I personally totally think he's guilty... Juries can't be selected based on their preconceived notions. So it was ruled that the court should have excused the biased jurors, and therefore Shepard had not received a fair and impartial trial, and his second-degree conviction in Kathy's death was lowered to involuntary manslaughter. That's not how it works. Just because the jury was biased doesn't mean that he accidentally killed her. I think it was found that the evidence did not supply... The, the malice for a second-degree conviction. <sighs> and for the manslaughter, he received a sentence of two to five years. And because the charge was reduced, it no longer counted as the aggravating circumstance that had put the death penalty on the table for Roxanne's trial, which meant that the conviction for Roxanne and the death penalty sentence had to be reversed. But the conviction... Okay. But... I need this but. <laughs> the first-degree murder conviction stuck and the penalty was commuted to life in prison without parole. I'm okay with this. Yes. I don't support the death penalty, but this person needed to be kept away from society. Yeah, exactly. Being unequivocally against the death penalty, as Jerry Estes would say, 
I'm just tickled pink with the verdict. <laughs> While in prison, Shepard completed his GED, and his Canadian common-law wife continued to write to him regularly. But here's, here's the clincher for me. Here's what made me toss up my hands and declare all doubt that he was guilty was gone. In 2000, Shepard gave an exclusive interview to the Advocate and Democrat, a small Monroe County newspaper. He told the interviewer that two teen boys had killed both girls and framed him to save their skins. He said on the night of Kathy's death, he was so intoxicated that he was fading in and out of conscious when the two boys started saying, she's dead, she's dead. Like the true hero he was, he said he tried to get them to take her to a hospital, but he passed out again. And as he faded in and out, he heard the sound of digging. This is such bullshit. He claimed that on the night of Roxanne's death, she hadn't run into the woods because she was scared to death of him. He said she ran off into the woods with another boy. Where was any of this at the trials? How many times does he have to change his story before people stop listening and stop repeating it? Yeah, he was just constantly trying to brew up a newer, better story in his head. A hypocritical lie, just waiting to be born. He said the boys buried Roxanne in his parents' yard to put suspicion on him, and that when the two police officers went to speak to him, they actually just entered the house and opened fire. He said he grabbed the shotgun to protect his family. These lies are so pretentious. His parents were there, and I highly doubt they would have stayed silent till the grave if police had stormed in and started shooting. So he's changing his stories again. He's completely unreliable as a narrator. So how can he expect anyone to believe him? He admitted to killing Kathy. He admitted to burying Roxanne. And he admitted to not being 100% sure if either one was dead before covering them in dirt. Yet he maintained his innocence for the rest of his life. The advocate and Democrat noted that his time in prison had aged him beyond his years. At just 47 years old, he walked with a cane and his hair was quickly turning gray. Joe Shepard died in prison of natural causes in August of 2010. He was 57 years old. Maybe that premature aging was his guilt hmm. weighing on him. Yeah. I've heard that lies are bad for your skin. <laughs> so that, for me, was one of the most enraging stories that we've covered. I'm like, I'm so tired. I'm so tired from the story. <laughs> I wish we had something to lighten the mood after all of that. Why do dragons sleep during the day? Because they're sleepy. So they can fight knights. Uh... <laughs> Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to connect with us, we're on Instagram at you solved a mystery. You can also email us at you solved a mystery at gmail.com. If you would leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, that would be oh so grand. And maybe share us with a friend. A friend who likes unsolved mysteries, but also doesn't like unsolved mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, I'm Athena. And I'm Chandra. Join us next time for You Solved a Mystery. Bye.